Turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Tonight we want to look at the, the subject, the first Pentecostal church and the first Pentecostal sermon. The first Pentecostal church and the first Pentecostal sermon. Acts chapter 2, and beginning to read at verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now the Lord will bless again the reading of his word. Let's just by our heads, close our eyes in a word of prayer. Father, as we do indeed by our heads, we close our eyes to fix our attention on to thee. We come again this evening in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. And we thank you for him. We thank you for his doing and for his dying. We thank you for his rising again. And so tonight, Father, in his name, in his righteousness alone, we come to you and we ask you that you would now send again forth your spirit, anointing hearts, and minds tonight, moving from seat to seat and from heart to heart. We pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would speak to those who are close to you and saved and those who are far from you and wandering and drifting and even those, maybe someone here tonight who does not know you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would help this man of frailty and clay lips, Lord, to bring your word to this people. We need the unction of your spirit. For, Lord Jesus, you said, without me, you can do nothing. And, Lord, without you, this would be just another meeting. Father, we need your spirit that he would move in our hearts tonight. And upon this man and his lips tonight, take me up and use me for the glory of Christ. Lord, remember those who are sick tonight and can't be with us and are at home. We pray, Lord, that you would meet them where they are and touch them by your mighty power. Lord, that you would raise them up out of their sick beds. And Father, for those who are maybe away on a break, we ask you to bless them and give them their portion and for those who are watching, even now, live or later, we pray, Lord, may they receive and glean something from your word and even experience you, Lord Jesus, through your spirit, where they are. But for us that are here, glorify your name in this meeting tonight. We ask it for Jesus' sake, and we ask it for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. When we talk about the first... Pentecostal church, I'm not speaking about Topeka, 
Kansas, which was actually before the outpouring at Azusa Street. Topeka, Kansas was five years before it. We just don't really hear much about that. And in fact, some maybe 10, 12 years ago, maybe or more, Alison and I were there at the first Pentecostal church in the United States of America. Now it was shut and we went to see the little building. And then we went and seen Parnham's grave. And we looked around. I like to research all of these things. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about Acts chapter 2. I'm speaking about the day of Pentecost. And I'm speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And Peter being the preacher. And the other apostles and disciples who are with him that day. So the first Pentecostal church is from Acts chapter 2. The first message if you want, in the New Testament. Remember, this is post-cross, after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. For before that, you were still in the Old Covenant, even in the Gospels. So the first message of the New Testament is actually repent. It's a word that is disliked today, and even in some churches, they won't mention the word repent, because people can get offended at it, but nevertheless, It's a biblical word, and it is a command to all of those who come before God to repent. Peter, on the first day of Pentecost, on the first Pentecostal sermon that he preaches, being filled with the Holy Ghost, didn't preach about the gift of the glossolalia of the tongues. They already had that at the outpouring of the Spirit. He didn't preach about prophetic utterance. They already were birthed in those in the early church. But rather, Peter preached a message not like your prosperity or your best life now. That wasn't the Pentecostal message that you hear in many charismatic circles today. Peter preached none of it because none of it was under the unction of the Holy Ghost. But Peter preached Christ. And Peter preached repentance. Peter preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorification of Christ. And he preached that that many that day would be saved. Peter, in this Pentecostal sermon, being under the influence of the Holy Ghost in preaching Christ, he preached also from the Old Testament Scriptures. I mentioned that in our message this morning too. The scriptures being the Old Testament scriptures for none of these were written at the time. These all are all written after these events happened. So the New Testament wasn't even written. It was happening at that time. So Peter's preaching from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, about what would happen in the day in which they were living in, in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached, first of all, the historic love of God to his people Israel. And then he preached the endemic love of God. And then thirdly, he preached the agapic love of God, all in Acts chapter 2 and all under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. You look with me just briefly at Acts chapter 2. Peter addresses 
In Acts 2 and verse 14, first of all, he addresses those in Judea. Verse 14, please. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. This is the endemic love. That means it gives the idea of a, a particular people. And he's preaching to those particularly on that day in Judea. And then if you look at verse 22, please, he's preaching endemically to show the love of Christ to the Israelites. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Notice what he says to those about, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. Notice the next verse, whom God hath raised up. They call for his death. God called for his resurrection. They call for his death. The Father called for his resurrection. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the Father's amen to Christ's it is finished on the cross. I want you to get this tonight. When Jesus cried, it is finished, and bowed his head and died on Calvary's tree on the cross, it is finished. And three days later, the Father, through the resurrection, is saying, Amen, Son, and Amen, rising him up from the dead. And it shows the endemic love to these people. And then, if you go to verse 36, Verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, Assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, all the house of Israel, who from time past had been scattered, and had been, if you want, cast away, and who had been on migration, and had been assimilated among the nations, There Peter's saying, go and tell them the gospel. Tell them of Christ. Tell them of his blood. Tell them of his sacrifice. Tell them of his finished work. Go and tell them. I take note of this in verse 39. Then he shows his endemic love right down through the ages or the years to you and I this evening. Notice verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter on that day is saying this. There be those down the years he didn't know but Christ knew whom he died for, whom he came for, and that is people like you and people like me. And here Peter is saying This same Jesus who was crucified, but whom his father raised on the third day, is now ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He says, this same Jesus, 
Go tell them about it and let the message be alive down through the years. And that message is still living. That message is still alive. That message is still prevailing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, this same message from the day of Pentecost, from the first Pentecostal church, right through to the, from the first Pentecostal sermon, lands tonight, and we're still speaking about the wonders of Christ on this cross. Would you say amen? amen. We're saved by his grace. We're kept by his power through faith unto salvation. And this same Jesus through this same word and this same Holy Spirit has reached our hearts. And hence we see, as it were, the endemic love. And let me reverse a little and let me show you the historic love of God from the first Pentecostal church in the first Pentecostal sermon. Acts chapter 2, please, and verse 17. And it shall come to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Sister, he didn't forget you. Sister, he didn't say this is only for the men. He didn't say, sister, as I made a mistake the other week and mentioned a woman's name during the tea. Sister, it's not you're just here for making tea. He says he'd pour out his spirit upon you too. What do you say, sisters? Oh, that's weak, that's watery. He hasn't poured his spirit out definitely on that, I can tell you. What do you say, sisters? And they shall prophesy under the unction of the spirit. They shall prophesy. Now, for those of you who are great dreamers, brethren, it means you're an old man, according to the Scripture. And if you had seen the dreams I dreamt last night, I dreamt I went to take a meeting, and whenever it came out, somebody had burnt my car out. <laughs> they must have knew I was going. Maybe that makes me old. This is the, the love of God, the historic love. He's speaking from the old covenant and he's saying, listen, God from the past is still the God in the present and he will be still the same in the future. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost is still working in you tonight? Aren't you glad he's still outpouring of his spirit tonight? Aren't you glad, brother? Listen. See if the Holy Spirit wasn't among us when we just lock the doors and go home, turn out the lights. Last man out, turn it out, shut the door. In fact, leave it open because we'll not come back. Without the Holy Spirit, we're nothing. Without the Holy Ghost moving in the church, we can do nothing, we'll attain nothing. Oh, may it never be said that we've thrown out the Spirit of God. None can be saved without the Spirit of God. None can be drawn to Christ without the Spirit of God. None can be strengthened without the Spirit of God. None can be led in the way without 
the Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Ghost in the midst. God the Holy Ghost in the heart. And God the Holy Ghost in the preaching of the word. If there's no Holy Spirit, then we might as well go home because all we've got is a social club. Notice this, if you will. This historic love. Verse 20. Pardon me, where was I? Verse 19. And I will show, sign, show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. S-A-V-E-D. To be saved is a biblical word. To be saved is a biblical word. You see, the, the first Pentecostal church, it wasn't a Protestant church. And it wasn't a Catholic church. And it wasn't an Orthodox church. It was a blood-washed church and a spirit-filled church. The first Pentecostal church in the day of Acts chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, let us look at this. That the apostolic church from the very beginning was birthed of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't a gathering, a clanning up. It wasn't just let's get together and let's try our best. It wasn't a let's have, as it were, a holy huddle shindig here and try and make some sort of noise, as it were. It was men and women who waited in an upper room for the promise of the Father and true to his word and true to his promise, he poured out the Spirit of God upon 120. And it's this that the church needs today. This church needs it today. This man needs it today. The experience of the Holy Ghost afresh and a new moving in our midst in the church again. If it's, not going to, if it's not going to happen and he doesn't move, brothers and sisters, this church will be dead. Skeletal. No life. Bones that are dead. And so we find here the historic love of God for that which Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. He takes it from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, if someone's taking notes. That's what Peter's bringing. Peter's preaching the Old Testament. Can you imagine that today? Today it's like, oh, we don't need the Old Testament. We don't need that. That's all bygone era. It's like it's some other sort of a God. I talked about it again this morning. I said about it. But here Peter, under the unction of the Spirit, lifts out the the Old Testament and he shows it to them and he says, this is what the Holy Ghost said and here is what the Holy Ghost is doing. Again in verse 25 to verse 27, it says, for David... Speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Again, Peter is taking this from Psalm 16. The Old Testament from verses 8 to 11. And he's preaching under the influence of the Spirit of God. The Old Covenant. 
Because he's saying, this is what the Lord says, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done. And so Peter is proving from Scripture the Old Testament can be preached. Some time ago, there was people came to some of our meetings, but they were professing how they loved the meetings until they were offered something better, as in position somewhere else. And the reason for leaving was he preaches out of the Old Testament. That was the reason. He preaches out of the Old Testament. Well, I thank the Lord for Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for Isaiah 53 and 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes you are healed. I thank the Lord for the the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. I thank the Lord for all of these things. And then in verses 34 and 35, Peter preaching. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Again, he takes it from Psalm 110 and verse 1. So this is the historic love. The love in the old covenant and the Lord saying, this is what I will do for you. This is who I will send to you. This is what he will accomplish in you. This is what will come to pass. And on the day of Pentecost, after the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost is poured out and Peter steps forth here starting the first Pentecostal church with the first Pentecostal sermon and he preaches the old covenant showing Jesus. 3,000 souls were saved. And one day, well, you know, if we get one soul times, we're delighted, aren't we? Of course, the angels of, in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth. So there's nothing wrong with that, but imagine 3,000 souls in one day. We have a mission coming up soon. I have a mission before the mission. I have a mission at the end of this month and then with the one in March. What's the date, Sandra? The 20th to the 22nd in Lurgan Town Hall. Can you imagine if the town hall, you wouldn't even get 3,000 in the town hall. But can you imagine over those nights, if we got 300? Be like wildfire everywhere. People getting saved. They say it's revival. But this is the first Pentecostal church being formed in Acts chapter 2. It's formed under the leadership of Peter and the apostles. It's formed under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's formed and then... Uh, as time goes on and they start to infuse other things into the, the body of Christ and then all manner of religion comes in, it becomes deformed 
at the time of Romanism. It's formed of God, then man deforms it. And then with Martin Luther and the Reformers, it becomes reformed. But do you know what it is today? In this untoward generation, conformed. Conformed to this world. Do you know what we need today? To be transformed. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. We are being conformed by the world that's outside there. Conformed by all the things that are happening in our land. Conformed and pressed on by all of these, uh, these agencies around us. And the church is conforming to their ways for peaceful life. But we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in this. We need to say, no, this is our rule. This is our canon. This is our measure. We need to get back to the Bible. Brothers and sisters, this church, the first Pentecostal church, is formed by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Peter. And so it's the historic love. We looked at the endemic love. And now let's look at the agapic love. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. We read this earlier. Let's read it again. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, he says. Notice, ye have taken, and by wicked hands hath crucified him. Peter here is showing the agapic love of God. In other words, agapic love is a love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of an object that is loved. Agapic love is a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. The the idol that is loved so much calls the love out of our hearts. That's agapic love because we prize it, because we hold it so dear. That's agapic love. A love which is called out of the heart. If something calls the love out of your heart, then that's agapic love for that thing because you love it, you prize it, you want it, you desire it so much, and there it is in front of you, and it takes the place, the first position of Christ. And that agapic love you and I can have, for we, we want it so much. Some of the movie stars or the pop stars or, or whatever it may be, it may even be our jobs, our businesses. It may be something to do with uh, something in the family. And we focus on it that much to the, to the detriment of the things of God. And that is agapic love because you are preferring, you are holding it up and you are desiring it more. And it draws the love out of your heart. That's why John tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the idea here is not to let the love be so precious to your heart, the word so precious to your heart that it draws the love out of your heart all the time. Well, you're chasing it. It's like a drug addict chasing the dragon, as they call it. The first high, trying to get back to that place. And it never works, by the way. 
So you take more, and you take more, and you take more, trying to get the first high. And it doesn't work. And your heart is calling. You prized it so high. That's why an alcoholic drinks so much. They talk about it being a sickness. It's an illness in the sense where it is a heart matter. Your heart prizes it above family, above commitment, above work. And you prize it so high. You love it so much. It calls the love out of your heart. And you feel, people feel, that they cannot do without it. That's agapic love. It's a love which is called out of the heart. According to the preciousness of the object that is loved. And Jesus in the waters of baptism in the river Jordan with John the Baptist. Fulfilling all righteousness for you and for me. There in the waters of baptism. And the Father, His voice speaks. There was a cloud. And the voice speaks out of it. The Holy Ghost descends, as it were, in a bodily form as a dove lighting upon it. Listen to the words of God, the Father. He says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the Father says of the Son. Now, I want you to get this. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. The idea, this is my beloved Son. The word beloved and Son is the agapitus vius. That's where it reads. And the vius was a fully qualified Son. One who holds the title deeds and knows how to use them. There's a technon, which is a son, which is a younger son, who hasn't really fully moved into that place yet. But this is a fully birthed and born son who holds title deeds and knows how to wield them. And the father is saying it's agapitas, huias. The huias is the son. And the agapitas is the agapic son. See this one in the water. You see this one here who's being baptized to fulfill all righteousness by a man with clay hands called John the Baptist. This one whom the waters of the river Jordan will flow over his face. This is my son. He calls the love out of my heart because he's so precious to me. I prize him. I prize him. That's what the father's saying at Jordan. Oh, and we have this idea that the Father's saying, oh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. No. He calls the love out of the Father's heart. He loves his Father and his Father loves him. And yet the Father give him that you and I might be saved. Think about that. Think about it, brother, sister, and friend tonight. The Father gave him that you and I might be saved. Puny man, futile works, fickle fingers. He comes and he thinks he'll go to God and say, I was a good man. Let me into your glory. Let me into your heaven. I want to be in your kingdom. Sure, I wasn't bad. 
Can you imagine the insult of this? To God, the Father. Can you imagine the insult when he says, see this one? This is my son. He's my praise. He calls the love out of my heart and I give him for you, wretched sinners. Guilty, filthy, hell-deserving sinners like this man. But like those who would reject Christ and think they'll enter his kingdom another way. I give him for you. Oh, friend, then what would you offer God tonight? There's nothing to offer. The insult would be great in the face of God. He says it again up the mountain. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And he watches him on the cross. The son says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you love me. He's prized above all others. He's anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. His his father lavishes him. And now his father sees him paying the debt of our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such historic love. Such endemic love for a certain people. And such a gapic love that Christ was crucified according to verse 23. According to verse 27, it says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or the grave that is, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. This agapic love is the resurrection of Jesus because the Father loves him, but it's to justify us. His resurrection justifies. And then there is the ascension and the glorification of 32 and 33. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father, notice, the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he hath shed forth this, which he hath now now seen here. For David is not ascended into the heavens, But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Then he says, Therefore, the word therefore means, look at the previous words, look at the previous verses, look at the previous conversation. This historic, endemic, and agapic love, shown, proven, taken from the old covenant, and fulfilled in him. This one is my beloved son. And Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know it. Make sure you don't miss anyone. Down through time, especially a man that's lying in great need like Ken Davidson. 
So Peter's first Pentecostal sermon was word-based, word-expounding and word-fulfilled. But take note, brothers and sisters and friends tonight, please. The priest's word did not quench the movement of the Holy Spirit, as some might say today. Listen, I'm all for worship. And I love our musicians. I love the songs. I love the worship. love spending time in it. I could worship for an hour easily. I mean, enter into that place then of not just praising, but entering into that plane of worship. Communion and softened, a slow fellowship. Endeared to you. Enamored with Christ. Loving his presence. I, I love that. But many are throwing out the word of God to have what looks like rock concerts in place of the Holy Ghost. And don't say, don't bring too much of the word of God because it seems to quench it. Seems to quench it. Can I say, the Holy Ghost in the first Pentecostal church, in the first Pentecostal sermon, anointed Peter to lift out the word and to preach it out. It didn't quench the Spirit of God. Do you know, I don't know about your heart, but see whenever I hear the wonders of Christ and the riches of His grace and all of beautiful things of the Lord, see when I hear them and I'm listening to a preacher enamored with the Lord Jesus. I can tell you, I might worship as we praise, but I worship in the Word. The Word does something to me, and I worship in the Word. I worship as it's in my ears. I worship as it comes to my ears. But I worship when it reaches my heart. Verse 37, look at what it says. Verse 37, let me just get a drink. Now, when they had heard this, all that we have spoken about, now, when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's the thing, when they had heard it, when they heard the word, didn't even say when they had knelt down and had a time of prayer. It doesn't even say that when they sang a few songs and gospel choruses or something, or they sat down and sang the Psalms. It doesn't say that. It says when they heard the word. Paul tells us in Romans 10 and 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so it says, And when they heard the word, they were pricked in their heart. Now this is interesting here, this word, to be pricked in their heart. It actually can also be said, they were cut in their heart. They were pierced in their heart. Pierced. It also gives the idea to be agitated. Listen. See most gospel preachers. Most gospel preachers should have it uh, that either 
the people are agitated and angry at their sin or they're angry at the preacher because he's told them of it. It means to be agitated and be struck by what Peter said. It really struck deep to them. One translation would say uh, the idea is to sting to the quick. I don't know if you've ever bit a nail and you, you bite it to the quick and you hardly touch anything. So tender. I have a terrible habit. I, I'm a nail biter. I'm a terrible habit of it all my life. And sometimes I bite it and it bleeds. And Alison tells me off and says, you stop biting your nails and the blood's running out of my finger. But I can hardly touch anything. I go, I'm going to do that sometimes. I don't let on because she'll only give off to me for biting my nails. <laughs> the idea of this, only it's in the spirit, it's in the heart, it's right in the center. It agitated them. Really agitated them. It hurt them. But it was to cure them. You see, they were pricked or they were cut, they were pierced, they were agitated, they were struck. And it gives the idea, the word pained, P-A-I-N-E-D, the word pained their very mind. Everything that they had been taught in Judaism or their Judaistic ways, their Talmudism, everything that they had heard at the temple was a nothing. And so here, the idea here, the word is they were pricked in their heart. It's, it's a word, kata nusomai. And I want, you, I want you to pay attention just for a couple of minutes here to this word. Just for a minute or two. And it's made up of two words, kata and nuso. Nuso. And kata gives the idea of a pressing down, a pressure to press down. Pressing pressure. That's the idea of it. Something that presses on. And the word nuso means, gives the idea to nudge hard, to pierce right through. The word was like a pressure in the Holy Ghost. Nudging so hard it pierced their hearts. Let me give you an example of this. In John 19 and 34, it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, the the side of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. And forthwith came the right blood and water. Notice, with a spear pierced the side. The word pierced. Is the same word. The force of the spear going through the skin, the muscle, and between the ribs. That's the way it gives the idea. It pushes in, then it pierces. Same word. It says their hearts, it came against their hearts and the deadness of man's mind, the poverty of human nature. And it pushed right in and it pressed right hard. It nudged further on until it pierced their hearts. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Was their cry. Conviction came. Concern came. Compunction came. You see... In the 
Ephesians 6 and verse 17 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And as Peter preached, the Holy Ghost takes his sword, the Word of God, and he puts it right through their heart. To pierce or to cut or to prick the heart. You know what the Holy Ghost was doing? He was cutting open their heart to let Jesus in. He was cutting open their heart to let Jesus in. So God the Holy Ghost do the same. And may he do so in these dark and dangerous days in which we are living. Give me a few minutes and I'm going to uh, bring uh, one, or, one more point of just too much material of pages worth of this I wrote yesterday. Notice here when Peter says in verse 38, repent. It's a change of mind and a change of heart and be baptized. Now ask you yet, believer, from you've got saved, are you baptized in water yet? Full submersion, immersed into the water. Are you being baptized? And I want you to catch why this is so important in this instance here. Why Peter is emphasizing, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you why it's, it's so evident he's making it. Because if someone was a proselyte, and they were going to come into the Jews' religion. The Jews didn't really baptize except a proselyte. If you're coming from one religion into their religion to be a Jew, they baptized. Showed everybody, they're now a Jew, to us to religion. Showed everybody, they're now a Jew. They have left all those other ways of other gods, and they're now in the Jews' religion. Well, here's what Peter was doing. In the day of Pentecost, here's what he done. The first Pentecostal church, and the first Pentecostal sermon, he said, you've got to repent. And I want you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. No, Peter was saying, you're coming out of lifeless religion, extinct, defunct religion. You're coming into the newness of life in the Holy Ghost. And you're showing all your friends. You're showing one another. You're making a big statement. I'm no longer in the Jews' religion. Judaizers can go on. I am now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an outward expression of an inward work, but it was showing them. It was making a statement. I'm no longer with you. I'm with Jesus. Then he says, for the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And this is where I'm going to finish with. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Would you say untoward generation? Would you say it one more time? I see this word untoward here. 
It is a word called scolios. Scolios. It's where we get our English word scoliosis from. When someone has a condition called scoliosis, their spine would curve. It's a curvature of the spine. Scoliosis. And this is the word scolios for untoward. And this is what Peter is calling them. His generation, around Jerusalem even, the Jews of his day and their religion. He's saying, and the word for scolios is the words warped, crooked, curved, twisted, wicked, and perverse. That's what Peter's saying. That's under the anointing of the Spirit. That's the first Pentecostal message. Under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? He was without fear or favor of man. He preached it as the Holy Ghost gave him it. Do you know what's wrong? And I'll put it into the Pentecostal church because I'm a Pentecostal. you know what's wrong with many in the Pentecostal church today? They're afraid of offending somebody. They're afraid of speaking up and speaking out in the truths of the word. They're afraid of calling sin, sin. They're afraid of saying it's the blood and nothing else. Many of them are wanting to tell you it in a roundabout fashion, in a roundabout way, and many are willing and wanting to darken down the room so you can hardly see each other and let's do a, 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 have a, a rock concert style so-called time of worship. But do you see the old Pentecostals even from the latter-day outpouring of the 19, 1900s, like in, in uh, Topeka, Kansas. Do you see the old Pentecostals? They said it as it was. They preached the word under the unction of the Spirit. They were unashamed of Christ and unafraid. How far many of us have fallen from there. Uh, this word, if you're taking notes, I haven't time to go. Deuteronomy 32 and if you read verses 1 to 5, you'll see the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of Israel. And it's the same idea in the Greek Septuagint. It talks about this crooked people. God says, I've been good to you. I have given to you, looked after you, and paraphrasing, and ye have went crooked on me. The Lord says they have corrupted themselves. And their spot is not the spot of, the ch- of his children. They are a perverse and crooked, scolios generation. Where do I close tonight? So much here. Philippians 2, and I'll close with this then. Philippians 2, verse 14. Listen to what Paul says. Some might have said, well, you could start at verse 15 and do 16, but verse 14 is uh, it's pertinent to bring verse 14 into this because Paul's speaking to this all in the one context. Philippians 2, verse 14, Paul says, 
do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, a scolios nation, Paul says. Anointed of the Spirit, unafraid, he says it is a twisted, corrupted nation, crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world or in the cosmos, this system of things. So to close this, do you see there the word murmurings? You say murmurings. It's a strange word. It's only used once or twice. Gongusmos is the big word. Gongusmos. And this word, it gives the idea of a group standing in a corner secretly talking among themselves. For example, hear what the pastor preached tonight. Boy, he was just sitting home now. That's desperate. There's no need for all of that. You know, this sort of murmuring stuff. Not that you do that, by the way. It's taken out of the leg of politics where coming from politics, he would have gathered around and he murmured against the leadership. And Paul is saying, you live in a perverse and crooked world. And so we do. Wicked, perverse, and crooked. And we're to shine as lights in it. He says, but don't murmur. When It actually also links to when Israel murmured before God in the wilderness. It gives the idea they had blinkers on. It wasn't that they just gave off sometime. Oh, Lord, this is hard to you. It meant they got into a mindset. Their mind was like blinkered. They couldn't see anything else. But they moaned and they groaned and they murmured and they gurned and they complained and nothing was good enough and God was the worst and this was terrible and it was all the time they couldn't get out of the murmuring and they just went into a downward spiral. That's the idea of it. Paul's saying, don't allow yourself to go down that rabbit hole because this world is perverse. It's crooked. It's scolios. And once you go down there, he says, you've lost it. You've lost the witness. But then he tells us in verse 16 what we should be doing. Holding forth the word of life that you may rejoice in the day of Christ. And then he says that I have not run in vain, neither Labored in vain. Holding forth the word of life. In the old text, it gives the idea of someone you come across or someone comes to you, and in those days, because of dirty water, they would have drank a wine. Handing them a glass of wine. And them receiving it. To do them good. He says take the word of life. And give them that. Give them the gospel. So Peter. The day of Pentecost. The first Pentecostal church. The first Pentecostal sermon. He says repent. And be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift. Of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, 
standing there that day, and to your children. And then he says, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The promise was in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Now it is poured out, the Holy Spirit, and he says, now this is poured out, this is the promise of the Holy Ghost. Do you want the promise of the Holy Ghost? That he will pour into your life, pour into your heart, pour into your situation, Do you want the promise of the Holy Ghost that he'll pour into your family? That he'll pour into this assembly? I certainly do. I certainly do.